Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Jack Luke and today I'm joined by good friend and colleague Simon Von Bromley. And today we're going to be discussing three of the latest road bikes to hit the market. The Cervelo Soloist, the new Canyon Ultimate, and the 2023 Trek to Mari. We're also going to bring you a little brief tasty snippet on two new smart trainers from notably Zwift and Wahoo. Simon, first things first, how are you doing today? Not bad, thanks, Jack. I'm kind of stuck at home. I haven't been in the office this week because I got a little bit of a cold off my uh, off my wee lads. So a um, bit sad this week. And it's been annoying because I think this is probably one of the last weeks of sunshine we're going to get. So, And I've got a nice... I've got a nice Scott Foyle sitting downstairs that I've been desperate to get out on and it just hasn't happened, so it's a bit sad. Well, to be honest, I've been glad not to see you in the office because you <laughs> could have given me a cold and ruined my last week of sunshiny riding. <laughs> How are you though, Jack? What have you been up to? Mm, well, I'm just back from an extended cycle touring holiday and right back to the cool face of content. I haven't been doing a great deal of riding, of course. I actually had a bit of a sore bum. A bit of a sore bum after my long tour, which is you very rare. To, you need to check out the best road bike saddles buyer's guide on multidiscipline website bikeradar.com. Well, not to give too much information, but I think I need to read the guide on how to prevent and treat saddle sores. <laughs> <bit about>. anyway. <laughs> Diving straight in, let's discuss the new Cervelo Soloist, which is returned after quite a long hiatus from the Cervelo lineup. The Soloist was a, we'll dare say, legendary. Nah, we won't say legendary. We'll say very big name in the uh, early days of of the brand, uh, and has been relaunched as a sort of do it all aero ish road race bike. In the brand's words, for everyone. Simon, what do we need to know about the new Cervelo Soloist? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, as you say, it kind of resurrects a name that was um, the Soloist was the uh, the name of Cervelo's first aero road bike um, in the kind of early two thousands, and it was an aluminium. Uh, road bike with kind of teardrop shaped tubes kind of what you would expect from that very early early days before the kind of era of you know integrated handlebars and that sort of thing um it was ridden by team csc they won quite a lot of races on it It was generally well regarded um but this bike is not the kind of full aero rig you know that the kind of new s5 or the most recent edition of the s5 is this is more of a kind of in-between e-bike uh, and it sits in between the s5 and the r5 now the r5 is Cervelo's lightweight bike and Cervelo says this bike is a little bit more aero than the r5 
but a little bit lighter than the S5, if that makes sense. So it kind of sits in the middle. Perfect sense. And as you say, comes in at a slightly lower price point, although obviously, you know, Cervelo is a pretty premium brand and, you know, (laughs) with inflation being what it is at the moment, it's certainly not a cheap bike, but, you know, where do you get a cheap bike these days? I'm not sure. eBay, I suspect, is the answer to that question. (laughs) Well, you will know as well as me, if you've ever looked for a bike on eBay, there's no cheap bikes on eBay either. Oh, yeah. You just have to be an eBay hacker like me then. Anyway, (laughs) uh, yes, the new Soloist. We've reviewed the top-end model, which comes in at around $6,800. Don't have UK pricing to hand. And that's an Altegra DI2 build with some tasty wheels from the house brand of Cervelo and the wider Pond Group Reserve. It's been well-reviewed by Warren Roster, our senior road tech editor. And you can read that review on Bike Radar. Um, Simon, kind of looking at the Soloist, being described as a, a race bike for everyone and considering uh, the brands lined up as a whole, would the Soloist be the bike for you or are you more of a sort of S5 kind of guy? I mean, I think with an unlimited budget, yeah, I probably would pick the S5. But obviously, you know, granted, we live in an area with, you know, not many mountains. And so the kind of weight factor isn't a big deal for me. I think, um, you know, what's nice about the Soloist is the fact that it kind of has a completely non-integrated front end that that does tickle my pickle quite a lot because you know me I like a kind of customized front end and so you'd be able to you know it takes a normal kind of one and one eighth inch stem a normal uh, 31.8 mil handlebar you know the kind of cables are kind of cleanly integrated through the upper headset bearing but they're not they don't go through the handlebar or through the stem so you should be able to swap things quite easily you know, it's nice that they've kind of added a, a threaded version of their BB right. So it's kind of BB right T47. It's kind of a mix of their, you know, press fit BB right and as it as I kind of said, T47. So you get the threads of a T47 bottom bracket or the oversized threads of a T47 bottom bracket. And then, you know, kind of the bearing placement of the Cervelo mm-hmm. BB right. They say that, you know, brings all the benefits. Presumably it adds a little bit of weight because obviously you've got a bond in the metal threads, but for home servicing, that's probably not a bad thing. You know, it, it, I think you know Warren praised it for its really good handling. It's, it kind of mirrors the the R5 in in terms of its handling. I, I've ridden the R5; it's a very nice handling bike. Obviously, it's a kind of like slightly slightly more relaxed than the S5, more of a, a grand tour, you know, bike for going up hills, down hills, you know, big days in the saddles, that sort of thing. So this probably, you know on the kind of more neutral side of of racy which is you know perhaps not a bad thing because not everyone wants a super fast reactive bike absolutely just finally on the Cervelo Soloist, one thing you will maybe notice if you look through our news story in the site is that the photos supplied by the brand uh, included quite a lot of images with a frame pump jammed into that front triangle now i'm into that I'm not gonna <laughs> lie frame pump on a carbon frame pretty cool and definitely pushes home its sort of home racer credentials and maybe a bit of a sledgehammer way but i like it <laughs> yeah i think it's cool and yeah I, I, you know one thing that Cervelo's doing nice on on kind of top of those things is adding lots of tire clearance to their bikes and so this one has clearance for up to 34 millimeter tires which i think is really nice just because it just increases the versatility of your bike and you know you might not always need 34 millimeter tires but it you know if you ever want to do a kind of you know take on a few farm tracks or a few little gravel roads or go do the Paris-Roubaix Sportif one year or something you know it it just means you don't need a whole kind of different bike for doing those things you can just swap out your tires Bob's your uncle lovely moving on from the Soloist let's go on to the new Canyon Ultimate which let's be honest 
Okay, on the surface, you could be forgiving for not realising it's necessarily <laughs> the new Canyon Ultimate. The bike is... Uh, yeah, there are some significant updates. I'm slightly overplaying the, the similarities, but visually, there's not a great deal to differentiate the new Canyon Ultimate from the old one. Simon, what's the kind of key features and updates of that new bike? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you in the sense that at a glance, it's a very similar bike to the previous model. But um, you know, if you look a bit closer, obviously, yes, there have been some significant changes. I think the kind of the major thing is that it's adopted the um, handlebar setup uh, from the Air Road, which sees a kind of quill stem integrated handlebar type thing, which allows kind of uh, seamless stack height adjustment without needing to kind of cut down a steerer, and it also enables you to widen or narrow the handlebar widths by kind of two centimeters from either side of the you know the central width so you know it kind of brings a lot of adjustability it also obviously completely integrates the the cables for a kind of cleaner and more aerodynamic front end other than that um canyons worked with swiss side to just kind of re-optimize the tube shapes and they've said they've kind of found five watts at 45 kilometers per hour which is not you know not a huge gain but nice to have on you know, and it probably won't be a deal breaker for people shopping for a kind of lightweight all-rounder bike. But um, yeah, our colleague Ash Quinlan went out to to lovely Nice in the south of France to, nice. to ride this bike. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he said it was very nice. Oh, sorry, I jumped out and ruined your gag there, clearly. You did, yeah. <laughs> sorry, Simon, that was very cruel of me. Yes, the uh, new Ultimate range uh, kind of similar canyon value we've come to expect the uh, ultimate starts out at 2000 just under 2700 pounds and rises all the way up to uh hang on my goodness 10,900 pounds if you're feeling particularly rich i mean that's definitely not the most expensive top end bike these days nonetheless still a lot of money i mean 2700 pounds that'll be for the uh carbon model do you think it's likely canyon's going to follow suit with a similarly aggressively priced alloy ultimate as they've done in the past uh, I'm thinking of the, no, I'm thinking of the Injurious, aren't I? Not the Ultimate. Yeah, they haven't done an alloy they, ultimate. No, they haven't done one for a while. Yeah, I, I suspect probably not. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Um, it, I guess, yeah, it might be nice to see, but I, as you say, they haven't done an ultimate uh, AL in a while. And I, and I wonder if a lot of people who would have previously brought that bike have now shifted to buying, you know, like the kind of gravel bike and st- or, as you say, the mm. endurance road bike. I just don't know if there's kind of space for a, as, as as good a bike those were for a kind of aluminium a cheap aluminium road bike when i think a lot of people would have shifted to buying a, a gravel bike or yeah as you say the endurace al but yeah like two thousand seven hundred pounds for a model with you know shimano 105 and dt swiss wheels you know you get nice gp 5000 clinches i believe you also get a kind of carbon integrated handlebar at that price point a carbon seat post mm. carbon frame you know hydraulic disc brakes it it, it, that looks like a pretty good value model, even if you know two and two and a half thousand pounds, you know, perhaps would have got you a bit more in in the past. But in you know, in terms of compared to other bikes that have recently launched, that does look like a good value model. I have to say, this is only really relevant to the uh, cycling industry uh, people listening to this podcast. But 
when considering value and sort of comparing bikes to previous years, I realize this is world's smallest violin stuff. It's really hard, <laughs> really hard to sort of think like recalibrating what presents good value or what necessarily just um, comparing price points year on year is so difficult at the moment where like each consecutive bike launch, everything is creeping up just that small amount as inflation increases the small amount, almost day to day, really. Um, it's just funny looking at, yeah, like a 2,700 pound 105 equipped Canyon. Again, looks like pretty good value today, but you only need to look five, six years ago and like, I would have got you a, a lot, lot more bike nominally. Now, bikes have changed in a big way, and I'm sure this is a very, very nice bike to ride. Um, and also, like, the group sets that sit below 105 are giving you the kind of performance. There's all this sort of stuff to consider, but just just considering the price, it's hard for us uh, cycling uh, cycle, I was going to say cycling reviewers, us bike reviewers. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and I think, you know, you mentioned earlier with the Sabello, we haven't even had UK pricing yet. And actually that's happened for a number of things, you know, like mm. well, I reviewed the Giant Propel Advanced SL0 recently, and we haven't had UK pricing for that yet. Now Giant says that they're going to give us that closer to the uh, kind of UK availability in November. Um, and you simply, you know, I, I mentioned that Scott Foyle I have downstairs, you know, I've got a Euro price for that, but I haven't. Well, I also don't have a kind of UK price for that, and I and I do wonder if, uh, and this is pure speculation, but you know, I'm sure the listeners will love a bit of that. I do wonder if brands are just kind of hedging their bets on, you know, seeing what inflation is like because at the moment, you know, if it's ten percent now, it, it, you know, potentially depending on what happens in the world, it could be twelve, thirteen, mm. fourteen, fifteen percent in three or four months' time, and and then all of a sudden that's that's hitting profit margins, and I'm sure this is you know, very kind of worrying times for, for bike brands as well as consumers. Mm. Yes, well, we'll watch closely. Perhaps want to revisit our bike pricing piece in the near future for it to only be outdated a week later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then finally, we go on to the Trek de Mane. Trek de Mane is uh, the brand's endurance road bike. It was kind of famed when it first launched for its ISO-speed decoupler, which at the kind of first iteration saw the seat tube and the top tube pivot around each other on a bearing built into the cluster around the uh, the junction between those two tubes. Um, you know, a very, very effective system, which has seen refinement over the years. It was adjustable for a time on the previous generation. It was also on the front end of the bike, the previous generation. That allowed the fork uh, steerer to sort of flex a little bit more. But it seems a general trend within Trek's lineup that they're trying to go back a little bit, simplify their bikes, uh, all in the name of the usual stuff to make them lighter, a bit more aerodynamic, easier to work with, all the good stuff that brands like to tell us about. And the new Demani has ditched front ISO speed, it's gone to a simple, non-adjustable rear version, or rear ISO speed, I should say, uh, and seen kind of other updates throughout the bike. Simon, any key thoughts on this bike? Yeah, I think I think like you said, it kind of mirrors the the similar things that we've seen from from Trek with the kind of uh, Madone uh, more recently, in the sense that, as you say, they've got rid of the front ISO speed. The rear ISO speed has been kind of massively simplified, and it's, it's not, as you say, it's no longer adjustable. They've just kind of fixed it at the uh, I think it was the most adjustable, po- uh, the the most comfortable point of the previous version, and that's just that's just what you get now. You know, Trek says that the adjustable version actually used to penalize smaller riders because 
obviously because they were lighter they didn't get the same comfort out of the adjustable version whereas now leaving it in this way in the new iso speed basically kind of equalizes the comfort across the size range which should make it a kind of better experience for more riders so that would be nice but yeah generally i think these kind of updates have come as a result of you know rider feedback which said that you know they really like the bikes the same with the Madone, but they want it to be lighter. You know, weight, as we know, always a key concern for for the pros. And, uh, you know, I think it's a key concern for consumers as well, as, you know, people keep telling us, and that's absolutely fine. Um, so, yeah, this this drops a little bit of weight, but Trek says retains a kind of, you know, similar character to the old bike. Another thing worth noting is that the actual um, interpretation of ISO speed is slightly different in that now it's not tubes which are decoupled is actually the seat post itself is allowed to flex freely within the seat tube and that kind of sits inside a, a pivoting system there's good explosive diagrams in the article if you want to take a deep dive onto that um but you know kind of moving that separation away from the frame and just focusing on the seat post has also allowed the brand to drop weight but also visually i think it looks a little bit nicer the sort of the join between the uh the seat stays the seat tube and the top tube is a bit more organic looking and less sort of industrial i didn't hate the way the old demani looked but i just think looking at this one it's a pretty nice looking bike um, another thing that's always to be applauded with the demani and this has long been the case but this new bike is compatible with mudguards rear pannier racks, as many bottles as you could ever want, and absolutely tons of tyre clearance. We're never going to get mad about a versatile bike, are we, Simon? No, definitely not. Although Trek is kind of keen to stress that this isn't a gravel bike. I've said, you now you've said all of those things, people might be thinking the kind of new Demane is suddenly a kind of adventure, a gravel bike. But um, no, the checkpoint is still for that. As you say, bags of tyre clearance up to kind of 38 millimetres uh, without mudguards or 35 millimetres with mudguards. Like that, that's pretty good. Like that's great, isn't it? You know, if you if you're gonna use this as a year round bike, you know, fitting mud guards for the winter and you know some big chunky tires like that, this this is going to be a great bike if you're a kind of year round mile muncher. And are you a year round mile muncher, Simon? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, be, you know what? You know me. I'll be shutting myself in a dark room testing smart trainers all winter. But that's because we make you, not because you want to. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's it for the kind of uh, new bike roundup today. As always, all that juicy, juicy info on these new bikes is on bikerader.com. But we're going to jump onto smart trainers, funnily enough. Uh, and the biggest news in recent weeks was the release of the Zwift Hub. Zwift, of course, being the world's sort of biggest indoor training platform. And this is the brand's first entry into the hardware market. Simon, you've got your little grubby sausages on that new uh, <laughs> trainer. Tell us everything we need to know about it. So the Zwift Hub is a uh, it's pitched as an entry-level direct drive smart trainer, and it's kind of priced at the, the right bottom end of where you would start getting direct drive smart trainers. Um, and I'd like, just for those who don't know, obviously a direct drive smart trainer is one where you remove the rear wheel of your bike and attach your bike directly to a cassette which sits on a flywheel and then your pedaling drives that flywheel and then kind of in tandem with an electronic motor you know the kind of whole system works now that's that's different to a wheel on trainer where you would clamp your bike in a frame and your rear wheel of your bike would sit on a roller and obviously you know you would drive the rear wheel of your bike which would then spin the roller and you know, obviously add resistance there Direct drive trainers have advantages because they're basically, they can use a much bigger flywheel, which can generate much more inertia in the system and give a much more kind of realistic and quieter 
uh, ride experience. So it's kind of a key step up. Now, the kind of USP of the Zwift trainer or the Zwift hub is is that price point. It comes in at uh, £449 or €499 or dollars, but it includes a cassette, you know, your choice of cassette, which is pretty... Uh, Pretty good at that price point. Pretty good at that price point because, yeah, like if you didn't have a spare cassette for whatever bike you have, you have to go out and buy another one. Potentially, you might need to buy tools to fit that as well. It's, you know, it's potentially a kind of added expense. Uh, But the Zwift Hub's specs are more comparable to trainers that cost in the kind of region of £600. So it is priced very, very aggressively. Now, of course, you know, the proof will be in the pudding and, you know, does it live up to those £600 trainers in terms of, you know, ride feel, noise, power accuracy. I'm testing all of those things right now, and you will find out on bikeradar.com very soon. But if it can, then you know it's going to be a, a really good option at a fantastic price point. And you know, I like to read widely, and you know, DC Rainmaker is a very well-known name in this space, and he kind of opined that, that this could almost be a bit of a loss leader for Zwift, which I thought was a very interesting take. Uh, and now, you know, obviously for those who aren't aware, a loss leader is kind of something where you sell it below the kind of, you know, profit making price point simply to kind of get people in the door and then, you know, set up on Zwift and subscribed, right? Obviously supermarkets do it with alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and carrots. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and other things. But, um, you know, that that's a kind of really interesting one because we've seen the smart trader market get, you know, more competitive in recent years. There've been a lot of new entrants to the market and prices have kind of come down for direct drive smart trainers. But I think, you know, coming from such a big name in the market and, you know, promising the specs that it does, you know, the other trainers I've tested in this price point have always had some sort of compromises, you know, whether it be in terms of ride feel, noise, power accuracy, you, you know, you haven't tended to get everything. So if this one can live up to its promises, it would be really difficult for, for the vast majority of users to sort of say why you would buy one of the more expensive smart trainers, you know. Mm. Um, obviously, that's a big if. It has to live up to those promises. You know, a lot of trainers promise a lot of things and don't always deliver, right? But um, yeah, certainly a very interesting addition. And am I right in saying that this is available exclusively through Zwift itself? Yes, that's right. And only in kind of limited territories at the moment. So it's going to be available in the USA, European Union, and the UK. So you know, unfortunately, that's not the whole world. So some people, uh, you know, will probably miss out on this initially. I'm sure if it's successful, mm. Swift will look to roll it out elsewhere. But I think it's a terms of a kind of logistically, you know, it's, it's a really big box. Shipping smart trainers mm. around the world is probably incredibly expensive. And I imagine they kind of, you know, they're looking to focus on their kind of key markets at, in, you know, in the kind of first instance. And um, just one final question asking is your deputy editor, Simon, when will we expect to see this review on bikerader.com? <laughs> Early October. So it's going to be available. Um, it's going to be available from the 3rd of October. And um, so we'll be aiming to publish our review around then. Nice. Sticking with smart trainers, we've got the release of the Wahoo Kicker. And I've got to go to my notes quickly because I've completely forgot which version it is. V6. V6, the the sixth (laughs) version of the Wahoo Kicker, which incidentally is about 10 years on since the initial release of the Wahoo Kicker. Visually, not a lot has changed in that time. You know, it's kind of very much cemented itself as a platform, which is well-respected, performs very, very well in the smart trainer space. What's changed from V5 to V6, Simon? 
So, yeah, as you say, like the vis- visually, not a lot has changed. And actually, it uses essentially an identical form factor to the V5 smart trainer, which I reviewed a couple of years ago. The major addition is the uh, the new uh, 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi connection. Now, Wahoo says that this offers significantly greater data transfer speed and stability compared to kind of Bluetooth or ANT+. Um, I've never really had a problem with Bluetooth or ANT+, but I'm not a serious uh, kind of eSports racer. And I, I have had issues with ANT+, in the past. It can get kind of confused with various Wi-Fi networks. Bluetooth I've generally found to be very reliable, but perhaps there are certain devices that don't work mm. as well. So I think, you know, the Wahoo Kicker is aimed at the very top end of the kind of smart trainer market. And actually, this generation has had a kind of 10% price increase you know, in kind of in line with what we were talking about earlier with, you know, with inflation. But it, you know, it doesn't help make it any more kind of competitive in the marketplace. Mm. But I suspect that this is still kind of aimed at those high end users. And, you know, like with bikes, the kind of, you know, the gains get a bit more incremental as you move further up the pr- further up the price scale. Um, if you are a serious racer, you know, the, the kicker is still compatible with the kind of direct connect dongle, which allows you to have an Ethernet connection, which obviously as any kind of serious gamer will know is even more secure <laughs> and faster than Wi-Fi. And oh, I kind we, of... could, we could have a Wahoo Kicker <laughs> LAN party sign up. <laughs> oh, God, I'm, I'm dreaming of it, Jack. You know, you, you're joking, but, you know, just call me. I'm, re- I'm ready. <laughs> um, so it's kind of, it's kind of it, yeah, I, I wonder how many serious racers will use Wi-Fi rather than an Ethernet. But I suppose, you know, Wahoo seemed, when I put that question to them, Wahoo said that they expect the majority of users will just use wi-fi and and it'll be better and they'll be happy with it and that an ethernet connection is is really a kind of you know one percenter type thing so explain to me like i'm an idiot simon how does the ethernet and wi-fi connection work does it connect to your own network and then goes to the cloud and then sort of sends your ride data back to your device or does it become a sort of local device and communicate through your router to your your device so I think it's kind of both. It kind of works like a like a Wi-Fi printer, I suppose, in the sense that it, it becomes mm. an available on your local network. So you get that significantly improved kind of data transfer speed because, you know, Wi-Fi just has a much greater bandwidth. Um, but it can also communicate, once it's on the network, it will automatically communicate with Wahoo servers for things like firmware updates. And um, Wahoo says that the fact that it now has this Wi-Fi connection will basically enable them to push much bigger firmware updates onto the trainer in the future and that this is going to enable them to add you know kind of more new features with you know kind of you know bigger files essentially so they, they wouldn't you know i kind of asked them you know what what that meant you know what what new features are we going to expect like <laughs> they they were kind of coy on that they didn't they didn't quite want to tell me but they did say there were some coming soon at launch they've added for the V6 kicker, they've added uh, ERG Easy Ramp, which is a kind of feature that, for anyone who's ever done a kind of ERG mode workout where the trainer controls your power output and you just kind of focus on your cadence, if you have to stop for whatever reason, you know, to answer a door to pick up a parcel, for example, <laughs> when you when you come back to the trainer, you know, you start your ride again. And if you're in the middle of a kind of interval, it, it will be like, okay, cool. So just jump straight back to that you know, zone six power or whatever, that that can be really difficult. So instead of just asking you to do it instantly, it's now going to ramp up the power easily 
over around 10 seconds and just kind of allow you to kind of get back into that in a smoother way because otherwise you're kind of you know it can the trainer can suddenly clamp on the resistance you might not be able to get on top of the cadence more quickly and obviously when your cadence drops because cadence is you know our power is you know force times cadence it, it will if your cadence drops it will clamp on the resistance even more to increase the force part and it can just send you into that spiral where you know your cadence gets slower and slower and it keeps ramping up the resistance to try and get you to maintain that power and it can be a real nightmare so this should be a nice quality of life feature wahoo have also implemented an odometer which um is it's like like you know is what it is it's a mile counter for your trainer now i'm a claw i'd have a kilometer counter personally but well well you know we live in the uk so you'd have to have a mile (laughs) counter (laughs) um but it, but it, you know, I, I think Wahoo isn't expecting this to be a kind of game changer, but it helps you stay on top of cassette wear, chain wear. You know, if you if you ever go to sell your kind of kicker in the future to upgrade to something else or you know whatever, it, it allows you. You know, a bit like selling a second hand car, you can say, "Well, this trainer has X many miles on the clock," and you can prove it rather than just being like, "Oh, you know, barely used. It's never crashed." <laughs> <laughs> of course, you you don't have to worry about cassette wear, Simon, because you clean your sofa statistically you've never worn out a cassette well that's another that's a story for another podcast <laughs> um but yeah so at, at, at the moment it's kind of you know the, the v6 is a is an iteration of the of the v5 kicker probably not a bad thing you know like i said i reviewed the the previous generation kicker thought it was great you know really really good build quality good power accuracy great ride feel you know, has all the kind of mod cons that you want. It, it's just priced at that kind of upper end of the market. But you know, if if that's not a problem for you, it is one of the best options, and I expect that this will offer a similarly good performance. Lovely stuff. Well, as promised with the Zwift uh, Hub, we are going to have a new review of the Wahoo Kicker V6 very soon on site. In the meantime, if you want to read news on any of these trainers, plus all the bikes we discussed, of course, all of that info is on bikecreator.com. If you do want to keep up to date with the latest news on bikecreator.com, why not subscribe to our newsletter? It's very good. It goes out twice a week. We've got a sign up on the homepage. If you scroll down a bit, you can find that there. And we're going to be doing a little bit more of the newsletter in the near future. If you do have any questions about anything we discussed today or any feedback on the podcast, send that to podcast at bikecreator.com. We do watch that news, uh, that inbox. We always love to hear your feedback. Simon, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure to talk to you and hear about your nerdy thoughts on all things <laughs> bikes and trainers. Uh, what, what, much, does the, what does the rest of the week hold for you from a cycling perspective? Uh, well, yeah, if I can if I can shake off this cold, um, then yeah, I would really like to get out on the Scott Foil again and you know do a bit more riding on the Zwift Hub. But otherwise, I might just be staring out the window at the, at the sunshine and feeling sad. <laughs> well, I hope that our dear <laughs> listeners aren't having to do the same. Thank you again for listening to the Bike Rainer podcast and speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.